The board is highly engaged. It is, I think, a very capable group of individuals coming together as a team under the leadership of David, and you feel like you're part of something really good. Welcome to ANZ Board Minutes. Paula Dwyer joined ANZ's board as an independent non-executive director in April 2012 and has extensive experience in financial markets, corporate finance, risk management and investments. Recently, she sat down with Blue Notes Managing Editor Andrew Cornell to discuss challenges in a post-Royal Commission environment and the need for diversity in corporate Australia. You started in, in stockbroking and, and financial analysis and things. Yeah, I started in chartered accounting, so I was Price Waterhouse after graduating from Melbourne University, and um, I did my chartered accounting dutifully, having been encouraged by my father to supplement my BCom with something further. Um, so when I finished, and at that time at um, Price Waterhouse, our biggest client was Elders, and they were doing amazing things all around the world, fosterising the world. So I was given the opportunity to work on the group consolidation of Elders and to go when Fosters made their bid for courage in the UK, I was part of the team that was involved in preparing the Monopolies and Mergers Commission case for Fosters. So I sort of was a bit transactional even back just when I graduated. Um, I left Price Waterhouse in uh, 1986 and went to Ord Minute, which was then an institutional stockbroking and advisory firm. And that was really the precursor firm to what is JP Morgan today. And I was in corporate finance there and um, was very involved in a lot of M&A advisory, um, privatisations and equity capital markets work. I left there in 1992 to go and head up the financial side of the electricity reform in Victoria. So I'd worked before the Liberal government was elected with Alan Stockdale and Jeff Kennett as part of a group of um, people put together by Alan and Jeff to think through what they should do when they were likely to be elected in terms of reform of state-owned enterprises. Victoria was on the verge of bankruptcy and needed significant change and strong leadership to really recover its um, economic position. And so we devised plans to corporatise and then privatise gas, electricity, the TAB, and um, then those projects required resourcing from sort of city types. So a few of us went in as consultants to the government and I headed the financial side of the electricity reforms.
Well, was there a reason you yep. chose? Well, the, I, I, went, I, I was involved in um, that. And then in uh, then I set up a funds management company with two friends. It was an institutional funds management company specialising in um, small caps. It was one of the first boutiques in Australia. We had uh, the sort of two and 20 model down, the fees. We were raising institutional money. And then when our second child was born, she was unwell. And so that really caused me to focus and think through what did I want to do with my career. And I decided that I was going to take a break. At the encouragement of my colleagues, I I sort of kept an oar in by um, taking on one board role. And that was really the genesis of my board career, that um, when Gretel was fine, um, I then thought about, you know, I, I really wanted to continue to contribute and be in the workforce and how could I best do that? I decided it was best to achieve through a portfolio career. And so I then went on to the board of Promina, which was an insurance company, the old Royal and Sun Alliance assets were put together at a time when insurance was really on the nose. And in taking on that role, I said, I'll only take it on if I'm chairman of the Audit Risk and Compliance Committee. And then Promina was a great success story under Mike Wilkins as the chief executive. And it was taken over sort of six years later by Suncorp, um, top of the market, and uh, happy days. I just think there's so many changes required to permit us to best harness all of the capability of women. And Australia is very slow to move and reform. People should be entitled to have time out. And in fact, it makes for a a more enriching life and enriched contribution when you come back to the corporate world if you've done other things. So I don't think a corporate career can be a sort of a hobby between breaks. So I think some people make that mistake to think I'm really on a career break and I've got a few things to do. I think to sustain a career as a director, you need to really commit to it and have the benefits of the portfolio. But I do think that we as a community need to, you know, better understand people will be living a whole lot longer so and working a whole lot longer and men and women and you know, we want to. We want people to reach their potential and to really feel that they can actively contribute. And I think it is. A, you know, we're at a bit of an inflection point because, with the you know interest rate policies being where they are, with our economy looking as it is, you know, we need to really kickstart things. And I think by harnessing the female component of our society, we can really change the way Australia operates and our capitalist system operates. I mean, it's big issues, but I think about these things. You know, I I think that there's all sorts of things you can do. You can say, you know what, I, as a chairman, am never going to attend a lunch that doesn't have at least 20% women on it, full stop. So if you want my company or on a deal team, I'm, I'm not going to work with a deal team that doesn't have an appropriate representation of women. And it's amazing how quickly big investment banks find those people. If you say that, make that a prerequisite.
for me, it has changed significantly. And I don't know if it's just me. I've been um, in some very intense situations over the course of the last couple of years. But one of the great joys out of that has been being part of high-functioning board teams. And it's really across the board. I mean, the board is highly engaged. It is, I think, a very capable group of individuals coming together as a team under the leadership of David. And it really... You know, you feel like you're part of something really good and you can contribute, you know, we can all bring our full selves to the table um, and contribute very actively to the issues which are before us. So I think it has changed and I think maybe I've matured, but also, you know, dare I say, I think that the engagement has increased as the stresses and strains of business in Australia um, have increased. No, I think that the learnings from the Royal Commission have been um, discussed and are being embodied in all around companies. I think ANZ certainly was was thinking about cultural audits and that well before the Royal Commission. So we were on a journey, um, you know, I think just reconsidering our role and what we were asking of our people and then that all built up to the Royal Commission um, but I think that we were on the journey early and certainly in other places I'm involved. It is important because your people and how your people feel about the organisation really um, ultimately informs how shareholders are rewarded. And so how do you sort of as an organisation think about those sorts of things? And it's only through your people that you can solve those issues. Um, so, that, so those sort of... Um, hazards around the sorts of you know gambling and I've been involved in liquor with lion you know different sorts of environments get you to think about what's the culture what what would make someone speak up and how do you measure that and how do people show up for work and um and a large part of that for me too is diversity that having you know females and males engaged professionally to solve a problem um I think does permit a more evolved culture. Different perspectives, and yeah, that's right. Different perspectives. It's reflective of the communities you're serving. It's, it's interesting now that. Um, I do worry that they are sometimes virtue signalling signaling, and sometimes um, they're dispensable if the invest, underlying investment performance isn't there. So I prefer a model where the portfolio manager is responsible for the um, sort of, I hate the word, holistic 
view of the investment rather than bringing in the ESG professional to um, identify compliance with certain, uh, you know, a list of um, uh, attributes. So I think that, um, you know, the tendency in Australia is more towards having the ESG professional sitting by, beside the investment professional. I've, I've had a call this morning with Vanguard in the States and they bring it together, which I think is a good idea. Um, because if you're decoupling the cultural signals from the investment fundamentals, bad decisions will be made. Yeah, and, you know, you can be fully compliant on um, all of the ESG issues but have crappy fundamentals. You want the, you know, capital to be directed to those companies which are have great fundamentals and are great at the um, cultural settings. They're the ones that are going to prosper um, for the long term. There are leaders within corporate Australia and their voice matters and I think it is appropriate for them to express their voice on, on social issues. You know, is tax reform a social issue, a political issue or a corporate issue? Is tax-deductible childcare something that is a social issue, a political issue or a corporate issue? My view is that that is one issue that would really benefit from advocacy from corporate Australia because it is implausible to me that economically we cannot find a model as one of the few nations in the world that doesn't have a tax-deductible childcare regime in the home, that we can't find a model that works for Australia. or seven years, I think. Yeah, and I'm still on. Uh, still I'm, on? I'm back on. Oh, back on. <laughs> um, you mentioned... ...which is a really interesting um, takeover. From a chairman's perspective. <laughs> You've done tab corp and taps. So you, you have a really... Well, it was a unique set of circumstances and there's, you know, so much detail and colour. But one of the features of it was our major shareholder, Australian Super, partnered with a firm, BGH, with the principals had formerly been at TPG and TPG had formerly owned Hellscope. 
And so Hellscope was floated in 2014 in a bad condition, basically, that the company had been underinvested in, the leadership was um, not up to speed. And so when the company IPO'd, I, I came in as chairman and uh, it was clear that there was a lot to be done. So we drove performance, changed over the CEO and then the same protagonist came back in and sought to acquire it, I think seeing that the benefits of the actions we'd taken were about to deliver. And Australian Super had joined with them. And I think, I mean, I, I do understand the position of Australian Super and this, the weight of money going into these funds requires them to think differently about how they participate in, um, you know, companies for the long term. And so taking companies private, I get that. I mean, perhaps what I don't think was as well thought through as it could have been was the hostile nature of the overture. And what was that going to achieve? It obviously, the response was as, um, you know, we, we, we took our time, sought other views and decided to rebuff them. And that was very controversial because the, um, you know, obviously the weight of Australian super combined with BGH was significant. And, and you know, they've got great, a great track record and great reputation. Um, but we felt it was not the best alternative for our shareholders or the company and, uh, um, you know, worked with Brookfield to put together a proposal which was superior. And one of the... Yeah, I think that is likely to occur, that the environment for listed public companies and public capital is very challenged because the performance cycle and the short-term nature of you know the quarterly or the monthly valuation cycle is brutal. So I can see a world where the exchange-traded funds are the method by which people participate in listed markets and then they would have a global complexion and then you know there are industry funds that own chunks of companies and or whole companies in the sectors that they want to be in. I thought you were going to say spring carnival. (laughs) No. The spring carnival is the highlight uh, will be a good spring carnival. Yeah, I think it will. I think that they, um, uh, certainly the VRC have invested a lot in the experience on course. And Victoria does these things really well. Um, there's obviously a lot of hot competition from New South Wales with the Everest, which is on the 18th of October, and then that sort of leads into the Flemington experience. So I think that it'll be a fun time. I think the committees is sort of the structure by which we engage, but basically the tasks which we're 
undertaking haven't really changed. It might just be the nuanced focus on different things. But this year's been a fully engaged board navigating through some incredibly complex issues, ultimately to ensure that the organisation is sustained and delivering acceptable and competitive returns for shareholders. And in 2020, there'll be more of that. We've got to think through how we move from the past under which there were, you know, bad things happened. We have to get through the remediation of these things and that's time-consuming, it's costly and it's onerous. But I think the organisation is absolutely committed to getting through that um, fairly and respectfully with customers and certainly our best people are engaged in that side of the business. And then we've got to work out what's our role going forward. And it sort of is a bit of an existential moment for banks, I think, that these institutions are very important in society. They're very important in individuals' lives. And so what's a reasonable expectation from these institutions? And and so what sort of systems do we want them to have? What sort of growth profile do we want them to have? What sort of regulation do we want them to have? I think that there's a lot of new thinking in that regard occurring now and certainly the Board of ANZ is playing its role in that. Thanks again for your time. It's been a fascinating discussion. So thanks for putting aside the time with Blue Notes. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Blue Notes On Air. Blue Notes On Air was produced by the Blue Notes editorial team with music by Kevin McLeod.